Sarah, thank you for that introduction. Um, thank you for any introduction, really. I'm always just amazed that there is an audience for poetry. It seems like such a rare and strange pursuit, and yet so many of us are guilty of it. Um, you know, you commit it usually first in adolescence uh, by yourself, and then you share it with people, and then you get very excited, and the idea is to continue that excitement as you get older um, by constantly trying new things. This is called persimmons. Mars is on fire, and we want to go there. Oh, brilliant. First Strains. This is a poem uh, where I restricted myself to three letters. First Strains. Owl, oh owl, low owl, low owl, owl, Oh, owl, ooh, owl, woo, owl, <laughs> low, low, owl, low, owl, oh, owl, oh, owl, oh, oh, owl, low, owl, oh, owl. <clears throat> um, periodically, I, I go and uh, teach at the University of Iowa. And every time I go, I live in a different apartment. Um, on one occasion, I lived in an apartment above a hotel, sort of the downtown strip of Iowa City. Um, and my view was of a parking garage and a come-and-go market. Are people familiar with the brand come-and-go? Very popular in the Midwest. Spelled just like it sounds. <clears throat> So uh, because the entire wall of the apartment was glass, I heard and saw everything that went on at the come-and-go market. Not overlooking the come-and-go. Who needs a scary movie when there's scary life? Icy days pile up like empty pill bottles. One craves hot soup and bare sex. I can't hibernate above the come-and-go when there's smoky lights all night. It isn't easy making change for a 20 on a Tuesday when they're filling the tanks beneath the pumps and the manager's on break. All underage kids must come here and go here. The world rhymes with itself. Earth is earth and row is row whether to pull a set of oars and skull or a line of cornstalks completing the farmer's math. Up above the come and go, I'm reading Maya Angelou. And there's a head shop open 24 hours. They do not sell head, but you might think it, the way the patrons come and go all night, all fall, all night, all fall. I lived behind a sex club called the Power Exchange. All words have been charged with electric bodies ever since I wandered into my first poem. 
it was surely the road not taken. Or maybe the body electric, I'm easily mistaken. An older is reptilian in its body, lithe leaves at night and such vocal things. It is a sexy tongue the world speaks. So many licks to get to the polished moon. Tell me a story then. How did you come to be trampled or new or high where the warblers land and recklessly shit where they eat? The universe I fear to be crashing. No painkillers for Doug. Ugh. It's just autumn come. Electrical storms. The brave fire of the leaves and everything. The pawpaw, along with the huckleberry, the choke cherry, cranberry, conquered grape, and persimmon, is one of the indigenous fruits. I usually only get it here and only this time of year. Fear is real, especially that most unholy fear that you will be forgotten. Fruit, when it's rotten, opens a door to memory from other lives. Is it wrong to wish for another life? My hand can barely write the thought. My eye can barely see my soul translate the fire into autumn's sweet flush. Persimmons taste like semen. Pawpaw tastes like flesh. Large hard seeds like date pits I spit off the balcony in summer into the parking lot below where none are sure to be hit nor anything grow. A spider would not lower himself to touch such concrete ground. I would not live to see a tree grow to fruition, and yet each year I'd like to try. Well, Midwest, here am I. It's pumpkin time. The cicadas have stopped singing. It's just the crickets now along the river. But above the come and go, it's wind and machinery. Why do they all take the same path? And why do these undergrads shout against the fall wind? The rebel angels' cries are but the check-in cries of birds. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. It must be hard to be Mike. Your name reduced in the ears of others to a syllable of grief. And then it seems that Mike is gone. Relief. Um, I'm an advisory editor of a young, young press in San Francisco um, that is, surprisingly for San Francisco, the first magazine produced entirely by the LGBTQ community for LGBTQ readers. So there's no assumption of having to translate your life into heterosexual ease. And um, it makes a difference. You know, it makes a difference to not worry about what straight people will think when you're reading your queer poems. And um, so there was a, a launch party for one of the issues and they asked me to read something. And I thought, I, I don't know if I have anything gay enough. <laughs> so I decided to write the gayest poem I could, I hope. It's called The Book of Merman. 
We went to see the Book of Mormon, the musical. I was working on my own musical, the Book of Merman. Merman? As in Ethel Merman? No, I said, the Book of Mermin, those quizzical, mythical beasts, half fish, half man. Though I could see where Ethel Merman would make sense as a musical, an excruciating musical covering the later years, the love boat years, the still pissed about Hello Dolly year, and Valley of the Dolls, and the rumors over her sham marriage to Ernest Borgnine, a man whose mouth she turned from every time they kissed. But Ethel's got nothing to do with mermen. Ethel doesn't do flops, and she doesn't drink water, and the only thing she's ever gone down on is a lamb chop. <laughs> Mermen, I said, conversely, love to submerge in the moonlight and shimmer beyond the dark harbors where sharp reefs teem with sharks and rays and anemones. The mermen's tails get nipped and stung. No one can live with a merman long. You could not stand the song, a blast more shrill than Ethel Merman on her disco album, the Ethel Merman disco album. <laughs> Hi, I'd love to say sea, but searching for a sea is more accurate in the middle of I'm always doing something, something for the boys. Mermen migrate like the whales as they wail their mermen song. The merman would only leave you stranded on the rocks. That must be how Rock Hudson felt when he had to belt with Ethel on a TV special, both of them sincere in their assertion that if, baby, I'm the bottom, you're the top. No one wants to feel as uncertain as that man was when he tried to hit those notes afloat. Best just swim away. Thank you for the musical. Thank you for the play. Thanks to the Book of Mormon and to Ethel Merman and to Merman. And thank God we're gay so we can hook up after the play with someone else. That last one reeked of fish. You'll get it later and you'll laugh. Thank you. Um, <laughs> this poem, I, I, I have this very ambivalent feeling about this poem. I actually wrote it um, while I was waiting to um, meet up with some people. It was like, you know, try writing something. And um, it sat in a notebook for a while, as things should. And um, then I finally, you know, came across it and thought, Actually, it's not bad. Um, at least that's my opinion. Um, and uh, so I sent it to um, a magazine, The Nation, um, which ended up publishing it in the January issue. And I mean, lovely that they published it. But the January issue was really not the issue for this poem. I think a lot of people just sort of skipped past it because of the title. It's called Why We Have No Future. Not a great, <laughs> but you know, it's about a relationship, a breakup, 
It's not. Well, it is, it's about a relationship that we're having with a planet called Earth. Why we have no future. I want to be free to get up in the morning, pee, and not come back to bed. We have no future together, he said, drawing a line in the sand of my chest, my nipples rival castles divided by decree. What did he see in the leaves of his tea, prognosticator, diviner? Sooth is not so soothing when it's removing what was built even temporary on a beach facing erasure wave after wave. How much farther is the future? Is it a grave? Is it a disease? Is it looming? Is it booming? Is it bust? Will we see each other there in the future? Not see as in see, but see. Will we be visible to one another or blank? Blank as a blank we fill in later with the wrong amount on a receipt we're turning in to be reimbursed. What were we worth? What did we cost? In the future, will it matter what is lost? It will not be a human trait to remember. We will have made ourselves redundant, inefficient, and less desirable than what can be invented, ordered on a screen. In the future, we'll check in, yet never see each other. Lost in the lobby of a grand hotel where nobody works. In the hotel of the future, nobody wakes you. In the hotel of the future, nobody makes the food. It tastes of nobody. It doesn't matter, I says. Futures are overrated. Castles too. And you, man. And you. Okay, those were my happy poems. Um, this poem is set in the uh, Central Valley of California. Um, I, I uh, grew up there, or I became an adult here, there. There's a difference. My childhood was spent in other places. But like many things that are native to California, um, I started someplace else. And um, the beautiful thing about California is everything, everyone is from another place. Um, in writing the book, I began to think about the idea of exploitation of resources, exploitation of people, exploitation of land, and um, also to think about the ways in which artists have to reconcile themselves with what we exploit in our writing. This is called Tender Mercies. The dandelions, ditch-blown brood, the evening snow and dew-soaked flocks, the brewer's pea, the jepson's pea, these the bright eyes of the viridian fields, in chaparral, the hillside pea and angled pea, intensities of light and pomp that distress the easy upswept grass. The smack the rain plants as it smudges past and penetrates the canvas. 
the smattering on field and railroad tracks, both hardy blooms and dainty flowers, the judge's house, the chicken farm, a migratory camp, a flesh motel, a stucco digs where all that mitigates the August swelter is the swamp cooler's immutable burr, a straggling house that draws its water from a hard water well and flushes out with the help of a crude sump pump. Before the flat land is occluded by the staunch of light at end of day, I wanted to be content with all its surfaces, weed, barb, crack, rill, rise. But every candid shoot and fulgent branch depends upon the arteries beneath. The houses have their siphons and their circuit vents. The heart, I mean the literal heart, must rely upon its own plaqued valves. The duodenal canal, its unremitting grumble. The brain upon its stem and underneath a network vast of nerves that rationalize. The earth's a little harder than it was, but I expect that it will soften soon, voluptuous in some age hence, because we captured it as art the moment it was most itself, fragile, flecked with nimble weed, and so alone it almost welcomed its own ravishment. I was a maiden in this versicolor plain. I watched it change, withstood that change, the infidelities of light, the solar interval, the shift of time, the shift from farm to town. I had a man that pressed me down into the soil. I was that man. I was that town. They call the chicory ragged sailors here, sojourners who have finally returned and are content to see the summer to its end. Be unafraid of what the future brings. I will not use this particular blue again. Um, Almost toward the end of the writing of Useless Landscape, I realized whenever somebody asked me where I was from, I would always use this word, but it didn't appear anywhere in the manuscript. And so I decided to write a word, a, a, a poem just for this word, because I think it's such a beautiful word, boonies. where we could be boys together, this region of want, the campestral flat, the adolescence roving across the plat. Come hither, he of the hard wood call me hither. Sheer abdomen, sheer slick insides, the feldspar buttes that mammalate the valley right where it needs to bust. And I could kiss his tits and he could destroy me on the inflorescent slopes, in his darkest dingles, upon the grasslands raffish plates. 
and he could roll me in coyote brush. I, who was banished to the barren, could come back into his fold, and I would let him lay me down on the cold, cold ground. Clouds above, lenticular, the spreading fundament, a glorious breach among the thunderheads, and in their midst a great white heron magnifies the day. We'd keep together, he and I, and we'd gain meaning from our voyage. We'd pursue each other through the crush of darkling rifts, climb into each other's precipitous combs. Where would it end, this brush and bush, this brome and blazing star? There is always some new way to flex a, a limb and find its secret droop. Not only the hope of nature, the nature of hope. So long as culverts carry us, so long as we stay ripe to one another's lips and welcoming to hands, as long as we extend our spans to tangle them as spinning insects do their glistered floss. This is not a time to think the trumpet vine is sullen. Rather, the trumpet's bell is but a prelude. It says, we all are beautiful at least once. And if you'd watch over me, we can be beautiful again. Um, Someone told me one time that um, whenever you're worried about whether your audience is with you, um, to read the dog poem. <laughs> right? Everyone has a dog poem. And I'm not worried whether you're with me or not, but I just felt like, you're so good. You deserve a dog poem. <laughs> My life as a dog. If I was a dog, the only three things I'd chase, a fire truck, a ball, and my own tail. If I was a dog, you wouldn't be petting me. I might have rolled in something. As a dog, I'd roll over for cheese, not very good cheese. I'd bark all night until you let me out. You'd have to let me out. Don't worry, I wouldn't chase anyone's cat. I'm sure I'd think about it, but I just wouldn't. Someone would have to hold me when I got my shots. Would you hold me when I got my shots? I'd sneak into the garden and eat the pears off the trees. How would I do that? I'd be a dog, a crafty dog. If I was a dog, I'd have run away by now. I'd be a runaway. You'd think, bad dog. And when it was time to put me down, you'd be a little blue, then put me down. Um, I'm gonna end with um, a poem that is from uh, a, a book I wrote a few years ago called Chronic. It ends with um, a retelling of a myth 
from Virgil, um, from his uh, eclogues, where um, he tells the story of um, young Corydon who fell in love with Alexis, his master's servant, and was spurned. I told that story in the form of a poem um, as I was in the process of, of ending a relationship um, which didn't end. And so I had to write the revision of the poem. <laughs> this is called Corridon and Alexis, Redux. And yet we think that song outlasts us all. Wrecked devotion, the wept face of desire, a kind of savage caring that reseeds itself and grows in clusters. O oh, you who are young, consider how quickly the body deranges itself how time the cruel banker forecloses us to snowdrifts white as God's own ribs. What else but to linger in the slight shade of those sapling branches, yearning for that vernal bow? For don't birds covet the seeds of the honey locust? And doesn't the yew have a nose for wet filaree and slender oats foraged in the meadow. Kit foxes crave the black-tailed hare. How this longing grabs me by the nape. Guess I figured to be done with desire if I could write it out, dispense with any evidence the way one burns a pile of twigs and brush. What was his name? I'd ask myself. That guy with the sideburns and charming smile. The one I hoped that, as from a sip of hemlock, I'd expire with him on my tongue. Silly poet. Silly man. Thought I could master nature like a misguided preacher. As if banishing love is a fix, as if the stars go out when we shut our sleepy eyes. Thank you.